What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon. Kevin, you're in a hotel room. Where are you? Bob, I am in the, uh, you know, he, he, here's what we do. On on show days, when it's just a day room, we'll stay at the, you know, Hilton Townsend Family Inn, right? And uh, j- just for a day room. And, and then on our days off, we splurge. So we are in the uh, lovely Ritz-Carlton in Georgetown today, which is one of my favorite places. And why is it so great? Well, the the area is great. You, you know, you can fr- from here. Uh, I can, and I do this every time. I can't help myself. I walk into uh, D.C. and uh, actually, the when we, we were we stayed here uh, in I think February of twenty twenty, like soon after the. Um, you know the the June uh, the July <clears throat> pardon me the January sixth insurrection. So I walked from here down to the White House, and then I walked the 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 path that the that those people walked from the re- from the reflection pond, you know, down to the Capitol. And it's it's a long walk. It's about a it's a good half an hour. So what it what what it made me realize is those people had plenty of time to go, wait a minute, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know what I mean, they, they had a half an hour to, to contemplate what they were about to do. So, uh, but yeah, when we're here, I, I, I'll do it again, uh, you know, today. I'll walk to the White House. I'll, you know, see the Washington Monument. I, I just can't get enough of it. I, I love seeing the government buildings, like the, you know, the, the Department of State, you know, the, the, the Treasury building. It's just, I don't know. I just I can't get enough of it. I just feel uh, patriotic, and I feel like um, you know, with all these symbols of America, 
um, you know, it's time to get back to the America that uh, not getting back to that other America, but just getting back to normalcy in America. And I'm 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 hopeful that that the steps that are being taken now will uh, will get us there and get us back to where we can have a healthy discourse between, um, you know, the conservative point of view and the liberal point of view. And because uh, and, I like that, I, I, you know, that's what America's all about. It's, you know, we, we talk things over and we, we listen to the other side and they listen to us and we come to conclusions that are better than if, than if we hadn't listened to one another. So anyway, that's where I am. <laughs> okay, so just to be clear, that's February of 2021. But moving oh. <laughs> on, moving on, you know, you're a, what they used to refer to as a Heartland Rock Act. And one of the things that came with that is you have an audience that today we would say is both blue and red. Do you intentionally shy away from making political statements that might appeal to one or the other? Is that something that goes through your brain? Uh, you, you know what, uh, I, you know, we have a song uh, that we put back in the set list uh, after the pandemic. It's a song called Building the Bridge, and it was never a hit. It was on a, a record that we made, uh, the, the only record we made off of Epic Records, and, and uh, it was never really released, but it's it's one of my, uh, one of the songs I'm the most proud of that, that we play, and it it uh it says um uh, uh we're building the bridge one small stone at a time with a lot of love and some help from above from your heart to mine uh, and there's another part there's another lyric where it says uh looking for the common ground in every human heart so it's all about um you know people coming together and people accepting one another and people kind of listening to one another and um, it's, it was actually, we actually sent the demo to, uh, somehow it miraculously got into the white house and, uh, and Bill Clinton heard it and it became his, uh, reelection campaign, building the bridge to the 21st century. And I ended up, uh, doing some, uh, uh, uh campaign events with him, but to answer your question, which I didn't do, uh, I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't shy away from uh, making statements, but I also am cognizant of the fact that, uh, that this country is so divided right now that it, I mean, I, I made a statement a few years back when they, uh, when the whole, when, when the big trip was, um, you know, bathrooms, who could use which bathrooms, you know, should trans people, use the bathroom of their birth gender or and you know my thing was man if 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 a if a person you know a male a born male walks into the men's room and looks like a woman to me that's that's more of a of a distraction than if that person walked into the women's room you know so it's like i think people can kind of have a an idea of which bathroom would be the most comfortable for them. Well, you know, I I reacted to the 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 governor of North Carolina, and what and what happened was 
Bruce Springsteen canceled his show in Greenville, North Carolina, to protest the the governor passing a law against um, uh, against trans people being able to use the bathroom of their choice. And we had a show. We were we we were on tour with Def Leppard at the time, and they chose to play the gig. And so I was sitting there going, "Well, wait a second. If if you know Bruce." is in a position to cancel his show in protest. So if if we play our show, then that almost could be construed as tacit uh, uh, you know, agreement. And so I felt like I had to make a comment to, to, to give Bruce props for, for what he did and also explain that everyone's not in that position, that you know, we're gonna we're gonna play the show but but I support Bruce's position, you know, uh, uh, about the 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 bathroom situation, and I got hate mail. I mean, you you uh, you know you know how it is if you look at the comments on your feed, and I'm sure you get them. Oh, believe me, every day. <laughs> you're you're not one who shies away from uh, from expressing your opinions. Okay, L- let's go back one chapter. You're on the road now. It looks from the outside, without studying it, you're on the road every year. Yeah, pretty much. We've uh, since uh, you know, I joined the band in '72, and um, other than the pandemic, we yeah, I think we toured. We might have taken a year off in uh, in 1983. That was just uh, uh, you know we had to kind of recalibrate uh, at, at that time. But yeah, we're you know the thing is we've got a a touring family you know we've got our, our crew guys have been with us forever and you know it's a it's a large uh it's a large organization and um you know in order to keep everybody working and keep everybody together we, you know we, we you know sometimes we'll go out and do a tour like just to pay the crew you know what i mean just uh so uh so, so you know we realize that um you know the band gets all the uh, gets all the glory, but without a great crew that, that that sets it up and deals with everything every day. I mean, uh, uh, our crew is an amazing group. So, yeah, we 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 pretty much tour every year. And are you into it? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually, I'm actually more into it right now than I have been in years. We, um, you know, our original keyboard player, uh, Neil Dowdy. Uh, after 55 years on the road, decided that it was time for him to uh, start uh, enjoying the fruits of his uh, of his labor. So he um, he retired back in uh, back last uh, December, and he's living comfortably up in Minneapolis. We love him, we support him, we're happy for him. Um, but we had to replace him. So when you bring a new person into a band. It it just well obviously you have to work them into all the catalog songs and and so it it makes everyone take another look at what we've been what, you know what, what you've been playing for the past fifty years you know and uh, and you know I'm always tinkering with the arrangements at Soundcheck I mean I drive the guys crazy there's you know I always want to I, I all my feeling is that songs are never really completely written. You know the record comes out when you 
just wrote the song so you you barely even know it yourself so over the years you you have a chance to just uh you know finish it and uh so i'm never satisfied so i'm always uh, working on things like that but i also uh started working with a vocal coach during the pandemic and it has changed my life bob i i, I enjoy performing so much better now because i actually for finally after 50 years kind of know what i'm doing as a singer so it's uh so i'm you know w between that and uh and then the the infusion of new energy from uh, from uh, uh, Derek Hill and uh, uh, the uh, the keyboard player that joined us uh, just got everybody. Uh, we're working on our vocal arrangements more. We're just really um, yeah, we're just improving as a band. So, what motivated you to get vocal help? What did you learn, and was that done via Zoom? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, my my son Shane. Uh, he, he and his twin brother Josh have a band uh, called Surplease, and uh, they were both uh, just graduated from college. And Shane uh, was uh, a vocal music major. And about during his sophomore year, uh, he was like, "Dad, you got you got to work with with my professor uh, Jeffrey Allen. He's he'll he'll change your life." And I'm like, "Yeah, right." You know, I'm seven. I'm 69 years old, and it's going to change my life. And every few months, you know, I would see Shane. He'd be like, "Dad, have have you called Jeffrey?" And I'm like, "No, I haven't." Uh, you know, I'm just thinking I can't drive all the way into L.A. for a vocal lesson. You know, every week. Then I saw Shane during the pandemic singing into his laptop, and I'm like, "All right, well, there goes the long commute excuse." You know, but here's what happened, Bob. And this was, I I love telling this story because. As a parent, you are always telling your kids things that they don't necessarily understand, that they don't necessarily agree with, but you tell them, I love you, I'm, I have your best interests at heart, and even if you don't understand this, at least give it a listen, give it a try. And then here I am now, my son is saying that to me. And so, and it's my opportunity to show him the same kind of respect as I was hoping for him to show me, and he did a number of times. And um, so, I started working with Jeffrey via Zoom. And I will tell you that uh, it's been two and a half years, and this past weekend, I had a breakthrough, and and. All this for the the past four shows we've done have been the best vocal performances of of my career, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like if you're taking golf lessons and you, you know it, it, nothing makes sense for a while, and then all of a sudden you smack a ball and and you hear that pop off the club, and uh, so all these uh, all these lessons, and I, I've been taking at least two or three lessons a week with Jeffrey and it something just clicked and I just like I can't wait for the next show just because I'm having so much fun so um you know I I, I don't like being away from home I'll be honest with you but uh but I, but for those you know two hours that I'm on stage I'm I'm doing I'm having more fun than ever so you say driving into LA so where do you live I live uh, in uh, Thousand Oaks. 
Okay, so for those people who don't know, uh, L.A. is amorphous, like a giant suburb. So it's still kind of part of L.A., but because of the because of the traffic, et cetera, it would take yeah. forever to get to where you might be going. And <laughs> right. since you mentioned your kids, how many times have you been married and how many kids do you have? Well, I was married. I've been married twice. Uh, um, I have a son, uh, f- Paris, from my first marriage and uh, a stepson, Chris, from, from that marriage. And uh, uh, then I met, we, we got divorced in 87. And in 89, I um, met a young music publisher from Geffen Music. Uh, actually, she, uh, our office was right upstairs from hers. And so, uh, you know, uh, John Barrick and Tom Consolo were up there cranking, cranking out the latest uh, uh, composition by uh, Tom Kelly and Billy Steinberg, who were managed out of our office. And here comes this pretty young music publisher upstairs saying, guys, I'm trying to listen to demos downstairs. Can you turn the music down a little bit? And one thing led to another, and now she's my wife. And uh, so uh, I met Lisa back in 89. We got married in 92, and we have three children, Holly, uh, and who is 26, and the twins, Josh and Shane, 23. And being a working musician, how do you sustain a relationship? I mean, you've been at the game a long time. You've seen everything. Yeah, I have. Uh, you know, and it's 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 a challenge. And, and you know, uh, Lisa and I have been together now for 34 years. And, um, you know, we've... We, we figured it out, and it, and it it wasn't easy. We, we we went through some rough patches, and um, but you know, love carried us through, and uh, and now um, we're we're in a we're in a great place, and and I'm I'm so I feel so fortunate because a lot of marriages do bite the dust because of because of touring, and you know, there's just so much temptation on the road and you know so much opportunity for uh for bad behavior and you know you just got to get to a point where you can uh you know uh, exert self-control and uh discipline yourself and um you know yeah so you know i'm i'm out here in the road that you know i, I we also changed our our touring um uh modus operandi or whatever the word is you're an attorney what wait what is modus operandi oh, that works that mean? works as that works okay good uh, but uh so we try not to be out on the road for you know we try to do a weekend the weekend between the middle weekend the weekend between and the third weekend so we're it's a little less than three weeks and then we take a couple of weeks at least a couple of weeks off after that sometimes we just go out for 10 days you know we just don't go out for you know, six months of of touring because that that just you that that's you can't sustain a relationship if you're away that long. It just doesn't work. So once again, since you've been on the road so many times, to what degree did temptation get to you, both in terms of uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll? Yeah, all of the above. Uh, you know, um, um, and uh, you know. It, it, especially when you're coming up and you're 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 playing the bars and you're starting to get a little bit of a you know maybe your first or second record comes out you've got you know 
you know, a local kind of following and, uh, you know, you're young and you're single and, and uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, so that's, so that's just kind of good, clean fun. And hopefully you get that out of your system. Um, and, uh but then, you know, a band like us who started out as a bar band and then suddenly just, you know, kind of hit the jackpot. And um, then, you know, now temptation is really everywhere. And, um, you know, uh, you know I'm, uh, I, I don't regret necessarily. Well, I regret some of the things I did, but um, mostly I... Uh, well, you know, it cost me my first marriage. I'll put it that way. Um, uh, so, you know, it's uh, I, I got it out of my system is all I can tell you. And and I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a, I'm a true blue husband out here, and uh, um, and uh, I'm happier than ever. Okay, just going a little bit deeper. What's it? You know. I say tell the story all the time because it really stuck with me. A friend of mine was the agent for Oprah who was playing arenas. This is after she retired. And you all, everyone would ask, well, why does Oprah need to go on the road? She's got all the money, as David Letterman used to say. He says, right. there's nowhere else she can get that hit. You get on stage, you get that love, etc." So what's it like, and you meet people in the audience whether it be friends, want to be friends, whether it be women who are interested in you, what's it like being on stage? Do these people really want to know you? They just want to touch fame. What's the experience? Well, I, you know, I can tell you that, that, um, that for me, uh, you know, especially as a songwriter, you know, I, I remember every song I've written. I remember where I was, I remember, you know, the that that holy moment of inspiration where there was nothing, and then all all of a sudden there was something, and and uh, and so you know when I when I'm on stage, um, and, and I sing those songs, uh, it's 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 just an amazing experience because because I know that song from when it was nothing, and now. I walk out and I play the opening chords and everybody stands up, you know, I sing the song, everybody's singing it back to me. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing experience. It's, a, it's something that's, um, that unless you're standing there at that lead vocal mic stage center, um, uh, it's impossible to understand. Um, as far as what the audience is is expecting of me i think i think every audience member probably would answer that question differently um uh i, I you know we do present uh you know i mean there are bands who you know like kiss or something like that who who totally present a character on stage and that's their thing and you know no one does it better than them for for us you know we're more the midwest boys next door and you know that's kind of our image, but it's kind of who we are too. So, you know, when I'm up there on stage, yeah, I'm an exaggerated version of myself. But there's a lot of my real kind of self up there too. And so I think people probably uh, feel like they people in the audience probably feel like they know me uh, better than they do <laughs> because you know. Um, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not showing the um, necessarily the um, the uh, the, the bru- uh, not the bruises, but you know, the, I, I, you know, I'm presenting the the best possible version of myself up there, and and I wanna, I wanna, I wanna inspire other people in the crowd to to be their best self you know we've all got our problems we've all got our faults we've all got the issues that we're working on in our relationships and in our in our own personalities but um you know so uh, yeah so you know i i go out there and yeah do i do i do, do people think that that's who I really am and that my wife is so lucky to have me as her husband. <laughs> I think they do. But, you know, if you talk to Lisa, you know, <laughs> she would tell you the other side of the story. And, uh, you know, my theory is that every, every good trait has the flip side of the coin, the opposite of that good trait. And so it's all of our jobs to, you know, to, to understand that, that opposite uh, trait and uh you know i call it the flip side trait and uh you know you gotta you gotta know how to harness that and uh and uh you know life is all about changing and uh and learning and uh i'm 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 still a work in progress this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Okay, now people who are not on this side of the footlights don't understand what a grind it is. A lot of people have what are called nine to five jobs. They come home, maybe they get high, watch TV, they do it again. But there's an incredible adrenaline hit in performing. 
and it takes hours to come down. And certainly the longer the day the sun comes up, it's hard. And therefore, a lot of people cope with drugs. You know, people say, oh, it's about experimentation. A lot of times just coping. Did you have that period in your road or you're more of a Midwestern guy? No, no, I definitely, I definitely had that period. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate, Bob, that, that for whatever reason, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the drugs that I did, they never, they never got me. They never, they never took control of me. And, uh, you know, and I tell my kids that, you know, you don't know. But by the time you know whether drugs are going to get a hold of you, they've got a hold of you, and now you've got an addiction issue to to deal with, you know. And somehow, I think there, I always kind of had a fear. I've always had a fear of addiction, so I've, I've, you know, uh, I've just managed to limit my intake, uh, you know. But uh, drugs were definitely. A coping method, um, you know, m- meeting girls was a coping method. You know, it just it just was a way to 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 cope with the loneliness and uh, and you know the combination of of uh, of of willing girls and drugs was it was just a, w- a way of life. Uh, and and uh, you know, I didn't even realize how weird it was until I kind of you know I. I actually, I, I will tell you, and I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. I went to rehab, and it wasn't for drugs, and it wasn't for alcohol. It was for just, I, you know, I needed to to straighten out my head, and and uh, and it really helped. Uh, I spent I spent a month at Sierra Tucson, and it was it was a, a life changer for me. It, it uh, uh, you know, uh, and and I would. Uh, you know, I'm so happy that that it that that it ended up that way because it really, really helped me. And I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not sober. You know, I um I respect people that that are, uh, but you know, I, I you know I like to have you know I, I like wine. I'll be honest with you, and 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 uh you know and I like weed once in a while. <laughs> so um so yeah yeah the hardest part of being on the road is is coping with the the time that you're alone and and so i think that not being alone was was a, a big uh part of of what or, or not being able to be alone was what got me in, into a lot of situations you know and uh but i'm i'm okay being alone now i'm i'm writing a book i've been writing a book for six and a half years now and uh and that kind of you know so so i'm when it, when I'm alone, I I just you know I work on the book, I tinker with it, and uh, you know I've got a little practice guitar with me, and uh, you know I'm uh, I'm more okay with with uh, with being alone than than ever. So um, that helps. Okay, going to rehab. Most people are not eager to go. It's usually the environment. People say, "Well, maybe you should do this." How long ago did you go? What motivated you to go? And what was the experience like? You know, you said it was life changing. You know, what about it? What did you actually learn there? Oh man, I I you know I, I used to to cope um, uh, by uh, well I learned at, at a young age to you, you know if 
what if I was misbehaving, uh, you know, m- my parents' method of discipline was go up to your room and don't come back until you have a smile on your face. So I learned that, okay, so no matter what I'm feeling, I should come down with a smile on my face. And I, I took that into adulthood. Uh, and so I just, you know, hey, the, the my most famous song ever is called Can't Fight This Feeling. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I always had just feelings that I would just stuff in, you know, you stuff the feelings down and... And but but feelings are like water. They they have to find their way out. They, it doesn't work. Anyone who thinks that if you just wait long enough, the the, the feeling of you know of anger, of of uh, unfulfillment, of or what, whatever it happens to be, it's it doesn't go away. It finds its way out in you know passive aggressive behavior in uh, codependency. I mean, I didn't know what codependency was. And the second day that I was at Sierra Tucson, they had, they sent me, you get a, you get a schedule every morning and they sent me to a codependence anonymous meeting. I'm like, what, what, what's this? What, what, what am I doing? But I went there and I walked into the room and there was about 25 people in a, in chairs around a circle. And the the group leader stood up, and, and, and I guess this this is what happens at the beginning of every meeting. She read all she read like twenty five uh, personality traits that are that are indicative of codependency, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm not knowing what I'm doing there. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, check, check, check. I mean, it was like all it was it was, it was a, a description of me, you know, and. Uh, and I always thought that that was just me and that I had this crazy part of me that I didn't understand and I was trying to hide. And suddenly I'm in a room of 30 people who all share that same whatever, personality defect, fault, whatever you want to call it. And I just, at that moment, I had this feeling like, wow, I'm not alone. I, I, other people feel these things and that just that was it just made me feel like this relief like like i could exhale and then you know i spent the next month just you know getting into it and seeing you know some alternative coping methods and uh so um you know and when you're when you're in rehab it's it's just this weird thing that first of all everybody is nobody's any and and there's no celebrities you know even though there were celebrities there but everybody's just on the same level and and everyone's free to talk and you can uh you know you don't have to hide things you don't have to be you don't have to be anything except who you are in that moment and uh and it felt really good to me and so i kind of brought some of that you know the hard part is when you leave rehab that now you got to come in back into the real world and see if those same coping methods work and uh but yeah um it was it was a great experience and you know there were people there who were trying to uh stop drinking stop using drugs uh 
stopped smoking. There was an eating disorder. A lot of people were in the eating disorder tract. And, um, but all of us were together in the, you know, in the common areas. And you just met people and people were free and people were just talking about their, their stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I came out of there uh, a lot more open, I think, as a, as a person and, and, and a lot less, I don't tolerate uh, dishonesty in myself. I don't, uh, you know, I don't hold things in because I know what'll happen if I do. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and I understand the difference between uh, uh, friendship and codependency. Um, so I, I learned a lot of things in there and, and uh, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm really happy that I went. I, 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 when I went in, I was just like, well, "What am I doing this for? I, I'm not, you know, I'm not addicted to anything." But sure enough, when I got there, I realized, "Wow, codependency! Who knew?" And it uh, changed my life. And how long ago? And and what was the motivation to actually go in? Uh, it was about ten years ago, and uh, you know, the motivation to go in was just that. I had set myself up, you know, at a young age to think that if I could just become successful and and my music, you know, if I could just have hit songs and and people would would be able to see, you know, my what I'm capable of doing and and I and I could share these you know, these songs with people. I just had it set up that that would be that would solve all my problems you know and 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 that motivated me for years and you know then all of a sudden uh 1981 comes along and we've got the biggest album of the year we're the most popular band in the world there was nobody more more uh successful in 1981 than Ario Speedwagon and guess what <laughs> rather than solve my problems it it magnified them, and it also the, a new problem showed up, which is oh, being successful isn't going to solve all my problems. So what is? Uh, and so um, it finally got to, to the point in right right around two thousand, I think two thousand ten, where I still was just uh, I just didn't feel right, and 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 I and. Uh, and and the, you know success wasn't wasn't filling the hole, uh, and uh, so uh, you know my wife and I talked it over and and uh, we decided that uh, <laughs> that that I needed to to you know go in there and, and, and get some help and I think it uh, it went a long way to uh, to strengthen uh, my marriage for sure, um, my relationship with my children. Uh, my all my relationships, you know, and you know some relationships, uh, uh, you know, kind of didn't work anymore because they were based on on you know codependency or whatever, you know. So um, yeah, so there you go. That's uh, okay. So you talked about getting out. You're in this environment. Everybody's equal. You're surrounded by people. You referenced loneliness earlier. And you talked, and I give you credit because most people have no idea how difficult it is. You know, I read about people, oh, they went into rehab for, for a week and then they go back on the road. 
said, you know, I don't know how they can do that. So in terms of maintaining, did you go to see a therapist? Were you on your own? What's been happening these last 10 years to keep you steady? Yeah, well, you know, I I was in therapy, uh, you know, for on and off, dur- you know, during the 80s and 90s. And, uh, and I had some really, I, I worked with some really good people. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and after Sierra Tucson, I, I, I stayed in therapy for a while. I, I actually haven't been in therapy for, for the, for about, I don't know, three or four years now, which is kind of strange. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the, uh, that's the longest, uh, time since the eighties for me, but, um, uh, you know, so yeah. So, um, uh, I think that uh, I, for some reason uh, I'm just a little I'm just not quite as uncomfortable being by myself as I used to be and so uh, I mean th- you know that's the hardest part of uh, of being on tour you know uh, Neil used to always say you know I I do the shows for free I I get paid to get there uh, and I think that's a pretty common uh, thread you know and uh you know, and and you know the the, the years of partying that 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 was that was really a way of coping. And let's face it, if you're in a rock band and you got hit records, it gives you a a license to uh you know for debauchery and and uh, uh and, and it's a but it's a fake license and you know people people use sex and drugs to get close to the band because they wanna because they wanna you know, people want to understand it. It's like, what's it like to be in a big time rock band, you know? And, uh, so yeah, the, you know, these days, um, you know, our, our audiences are, I mean, we played this Monday and Tuesday. Who, who, who goes to a rock show on a Monday or a Tuesday? When we had, we had two sold out shows in Augusta, Georgia and, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. People were on their feet, uh, for the singing along, just having a great time, and you know, um, so, and that's enough for me. That 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 love is enough for me. I, you know, I'm I'm not looking for uh, for extracurricular love. I I got I got love at home. Uh, I got an honest relationship um, with my wife and my kids, and and not. I'll tell you one of the you know, if you want to know one of the one of the greatest things that that uh, about rehab is is I came out of there, uh, like I say, with zero tolerance for bullshit, and and the fact that I could, uh, that I could just, I, I I'm since I'm not hiding anything, since I'm not you know in, engaged in any behavior that I'm ashamed of, uh, it's just, it's like a, I, uh, it's like a weight off my shoulders. It's like I can be totally honest all the time i'm not hiding anything you know and it's just a it's a real freeing feeling and it and it's just uh, made me closer to everyone in my life from my wife to my friends to my kids uh it just just feels good to be uh done with the what what i used to call the road guy home guy syndrome you know you can only be one guy you know if you're if you're being two guys it, it's it doesn't work, you know, because you're always you're always hiding guy two when 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 you're guy one, and and uh, it's a it's a 
it's a miserable way to live. I'll be honest with you. So I, I now I'm it's it's all guy one, and and I'm uh, and I'm proud to say it, and I'm I'm at peace with it. Okay, you talked about Augusta, Georgia, and this rousing crowd. Generally speaking, who comes to see REO Speedwagon? Is it fans from the 70s and 80s? Is it people who are younger? Is it very young people? And with that, it's one thing when you're headlining. You talked about being out with Def Leppard. You've been on a number of package tours. What's it like when you play one of those gigs where the people in the audience might not have bought a ticket specifically to see you? You know, I I, I take that as a uh, it's a it's a challenge. It, it's a it's an adventure because it's a it's an opportunity to play for people like you say who didn't exactly buy the ticket to see you. So you have an opportunity to to spend you know seventy five minutes with them playing you know your best songs and 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 uh, putting on you know a seventy five minute show man it's just compact it's just like powerful it's, it it never lets up and uh, and we I think we've won over a lot of fans through the the package tours that we've done uh, um, but when you you know when you but these shows like I say in Augusta and uh, Charleston just for an example they were I think you know maybe. 4,000 seaters. I think Charleston was a little bit smaller. Um, and then you walk out on stage and you, it's like, wait, everybody here bought a ticket to see us, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so it's like, it's, it's a, it's like hanging out with old friends, you know? And, uh, um, so, I, you know, I, you know, Bob, I, I'll be honest with you. I like to play, I just like I just love doing it. I mean, I I'm doing a gig um, in I did one uh, in Vegas a couple months ago. Um, my friend Kenny Aronoff, the great the great drummer Kenny Aronoff, the one of the great drummers of all time. He um, he he is is involved in this uh, this band. It's a long story. I won't go into it. But I ended up uh, so I I did this one show with them. They they've got a a solid band. And then they bring in uh, this in thing in Vegas, uh, Billy Gibbons, um, Vince Gill, Stephen Stills, and myself. And each of us do four or five of our songs with this great band. And it's Jim Irsay, the guy who owns the Indianapolis Colts, has this amazing collection of memorabilia. And so he does these free shows. So I'm doing another one in Boston. And in that show in Vegas, I got to sing a duet and almost cut my hair. This was a few weeks after David's passing with Stephen Stills, who is, I mean, anybody who who reads my book, what if I ever finish it, will will see my my uh, just my lifelong reverence and respect and admiration for Stephen Stills. He he's just he's my hero. Is all I can tell you. And uh, so to be able to to uh, to, to sing almost cut my hair <laughs> with steven was just I, I was like i had to pinch myself I, I i i couldn't believe it was actually happening this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Okay, so at this point in time, and of course everything's a little screwed up because of the pandemic, but before then and after then, REO Speedwright, or yourself, how many dates a year do you work? Um, we do, you know, uh, somewhere probably around 85-ish. You know, if we're doing a, uh, a big package tour, sometimes you have to play a little more because the, you're carrying, you know, all the extra trucks and buses and, you know, tech crew guys and everything. But, uh, but you know, I... You know, my wife and I kind of made a deal that I wouldn't be on the road more than I'm home, uh, and and uh, and so we try to keep it. You know, uh, you know we try to keep that. Uh, we do. We, we, we've been consistent with that for a long time now. So, uh, but but we also like to spread it out over the whole year, so that to, so we keep the crew and 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 uh, so we keep the organiz. We, we kind of keep the store open, as as we say. So, um, yeah, so, so, so we can make it happen, you know, with, you know, 80, 85 shows a year, everybody does great. You know, we, we can, we can pay the crew. Everybody's, uh, everybody's happy and, uh, we're not away from home too, uh, extremely much. So, uh, it's been working out well. Okay. In terms of transportation in the sixties bands went in station wagons, <laughs> then they went in Winnebago's. Then the real goal was to fly commercial, which got you there faster, but eats up a lot of time. Then we had the era, well, I want to be big enough to have our own jet. And of course, superstars at this point, you know, what people don't realize is they'll base themselves in one location and they'll fly out to different locations. But those are people who, you know, were 
you know, there's a very thin layer of the action. Yet there are household names who are traveling by bus. So there are a lot of people who don't understand that the bus is superior because you get off the road and there it is. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go anywhere. So how do you guys do it? And what's your experience been over history? Oh man. Well, uh, you know, the uh, ARIO has a rich history of, uh, of aviation related, uh, hijinks and, uh, uh, near misses. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, we, we, we started chartering a plane long before we could afford it. And, uh, and our mutual friend, uh, uh, Irving Azoff, of course, who was, uh, we were his first management client, as you know, and uh, and so so Irving made a deal for for an airplane, and and I remember thinking, and I didn't ask. I'm like, I'm not going to ask any questions. I don't know how we're affording this, but uh, but uh, but hey, we're on an airplane, and uh, so uh, 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 that ended up being <laughs> that. Well, put it this way, the, the in. Uh, about three years after we uh, left that airplane in an, uh, on an airstrip in Arkansas, the plane had lost its brakes, and and our and our pilot had a gun one of the engines, put the other engine in reverse, and and put it into a forced tailspin. And of course, I always used to like to sit in the rear portion of the plane. And on that particular day, we had a, a Rolling Stone. Uh, reporter by the name of John Swenson on the plane with us, and John and I got the ride of our lives. The plane did did three full uh, full uh, spins on the uh, in in the in the uh, grass. But uh, so years later, I'm in a hotel actually here in Washington D.C., and uh, some people knocked on my door. I don't know how they found my room, but there was a group outside. I looked through the peephole, and someone's holding up. The a, a book looked like an encyclopedia, uh, you know, like a, a school yearbook size book, and it said, uh, "Depart uh, our uh, Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, 1982 yearbook." And uh, so I'm like, "What's this?" So I opened the door. They had the open to a page of a point of view from behind a squad car with agent ATF agents. Guns drawn, aimed at a, in the distance, an airplane, with the Ario Speedwagon logo painted <laughs> on the side. So, long story, sh- a little shorter. On our days off on the road, our plane was being used to do all kinds of things that we were not aware of, and so we we were the uh, we we were basically a cover for uh, a much illegal activity. So that's how we afforded the plane, I guess. We, we, we didn't partake in any of, the, any of the illegalities, but our we were a cover for it, I guess. Okay. So at this point in time, you know, it's not like you go, as you said, you go on the road for 60 days straight, although sometimes you do a package tour. So are you traveling by bus to these gigs? Or are you flying in and flying back to LA? How does it work? No, we, we we fly into a to a major hub. The the tour buses meet us there, and uh, and honestly, um, you know, 
you know, my friend Sammy Hagar's got a beautiful airplane, and and he always and and that's just his thing, and he's in a position to be able to afford it, and 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 it's great. Um, but the problem is, you spend your whole day driving to the airport, getting on the airplane, you know. So the the beauty of tour buses, which is how we travel, is you you you, you know the gig's over, you get on the bus. Watch a little TV. You know, there's cable, there's satellite TV on the bus. Then you go into your bunk, you know, read a little bit, listen to a Bob Lefsitz podcast, and <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, and you uh, and you get to sleep. And then when you wake up, you're in the next city, and you can do things. You can, you know, go to the gym, take a walk. You know, I I always like to walk around the whatever city we're playing on the afternoon before the show and just kind of soak up some of the vibe of, of what's going on in that city. And, um, uh, and, and then, you know, I bring that with me on stage and I just feel a little bit closer to the audience that way. So I'm, I'm cool traveling by, by tour bus, but I do like the nights that we get to uh, sleep in a real bed. So I will enjoy my evening tonight. Okay. So we started that earlier. You talked about a day room and then you talked about being in this great hotel. Do you essentially get a hotel every day? Yeah, we get a hotel every day. Some, I mean, sometimes, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, a, a late sleeper and, a, and, a, and a, uh, so I, by the time I get off the bus, I'm in the room for maybe four hours, and then I'm, I gotta, you know, check out again. So, so that becomes a little bit of a burn because you gotta bring out, you know, you gotta open up all your luggage. I mean, it takes me from the time I walk into my hotel room until the time it's all set up to my specifications. You know, it it it's a good half hour process, just like you know, yeah. Put your suitcase here. You put your computers there. Your toiletries are in the bathroom. I, you know, I just like to make make my environment feel somewhat familiar. Um, but on those day room days, yeah, well, you know, there three or four hours, and then we're off to the gig. But then on the days off, we, you know, we get to have a nice day and and uh, you know, nice dinner in a restaurant somewhere or whatever. And uh, so that that's what uh, that's what today will be. And to what degree can you travel freely, or are you recognized? Um, you know what, uh, I'm I'm recognized on a, on a pretty regular basis, but n- normally, you know, if it's just on the street or you know, there, there's it, hey, everybody's different. You know, every person has a different um, uh, you know way of uh, of approaching you know you and and you know as a uh, you know, I'm 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 so lucky that I that my music uh, a- affects people in such a way that they want to, they just want to. I, I I don't quite understand it, but that's how I felt about Stephen Stills. I just I just wanted to meet him because I love his music so much that that I feel like that's a connection between between him and me, even though he, you know. He didn't know who I was. You know, I was I was a kid, and uh, so so I I understand that feeling, and and so I try to be as as accommodating as possible. the The things that I don't tolerate is when someone is drunk, and they and they and now they want to come up to me, and, and it's just 
that doesn't work, you know. But if but if if people are are and and usually people are usually people are re- really cool, just really respectful, just want to say, you know what, man, you know your your music means a lot to me, and 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 we played your song at our wedding, and thanks, you know. And I'm like, you're welcome. That's awesome, you know. I mean, who who doesn't want to hear that, you know? Okay, so to what degree? Does REO Speedwagon mean anything outside the United States? And to what degree have you toured outside the United States? Well, we, you know, well, I, I, I will tell you this. We, we did a really, made a really dumb decision in 1981. Uh, we, were, we were offered a, a, a huge European tour. We had toured the States, you know, put, sold out stadiums. We went to Japan, you know, did multiple nights at Budokan and and toured the country. And uh, by late 1981, that was when the European leg of the tour was supposed to happen. And um, we just didn't do it. Uh, and and it was, and look, looking back, that, that was a dumb thing because, um, you know, what, what I've come to understand about uh, European music fans, and you know, this is a generalization, of course, but that if you if American bands come there when they're at their peak and tour, those bands can come back to Europe forever, and and people will uh, people are loyal. The, the the fans in European fans are just loyal. If you don't come there at your peak and now you're not at your peak anymore and now you want to go over to europe and play it's a it's a it's a tougher hill to climb i'll tell you but um but 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 we you know we you know luckily we we did go back there uh after the wheels are turning tour we, we toured europe and um so you know we go back there every few years we've you know we've been to japan a few times we we did a little tour of new zealand uh, right before the pandemic with uh, Huey Lewis and uh, Melissa Etheridge. We just played a few festivals in New Zealand, and it was awesome. I mean, it was just a great experience. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I like to see new places. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're tossing around a, a, an Australian tour, which we've never done. Um, so, uh, but there's also something nice about being home too, you know, being not having to show a passport and and just knowing that there's a little safety and uh, you know I, I feel more connected to home, you know, and I and for me it's really important to feel connected to home. Uh, uh, Lisa bought me a a little uh, little uh, pendant uh, right before I left, and and it's. Uh, and I love it. It's just a little chain. Well, I, I guess people can't see it, but there's an anchor at the end of it. And it's like, and I and I never tell, well, this is my New Zealand uh, 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 thing that I wear constantly, given to us by a Maori uh, uh, a spiritual guy. I don't know. I, I guess it was a priest, a Maori priest. And then this little anchor. And so it's like, that's my anchor. You know, home is my anchor. Okay, since you've been on the road for decades, what's the best hotel you were ever at? What's the, uh, you know, if I said you only get to go to one, what would that be? Um, well, I'll tell you what, this one right here would would, would be high on my list for sure. 
Um, the, uh, the, you know, there's, there's the Townsend in Birmingham, Michigan, outside of Detroit, that's a, in a great spot. I'm trying to think of uh, like a someplace. Oh, man. <laughs> the, I can't, there's, there, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking of like one, if you ask me for a venue, you know, I, I would, you know, it's like, okay, okay, well, let's, well that, that's interesting too, switch it to a venue. If I, if I say there are three venues you can play, what are those? Well, the first one is Red Rocks at, without even, without even having to think twice. Red Rocks is just, uh, just from, uh, well, first of all, I have a picture of uh, it's it's one of my first memories of life of my mom and I. My dad took the picture up at the top of the you know w- with the amphitheater of Red Rocks in the in the background when I was two and a half years old. And wow. you know who who would have thunk that that my history with Red Rocks would be? I think we I think we played there seven times and and uh, it the the place has been sold out every one. And what's great about Red Rocks is not only the the natural amphitheater uh, and the beauty of the of the area that you're in, but in the dressing room area, there's a they have a a mural of every everyone that's ever played there, starting in I think it opened in the early 1900s, and so you can look at this at, at this thing and, and it's like a history of music, you know, from from classical, you know, through the you know the big band era and the Frank Sinatra era, and then all of a sudden, the British invasion happens. And uh, you know, and yeah, there, there was like a Beach Boys, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons period. So you can really just document how music has changed over the years. It's really, uh, it's a beautiful venue. Um, that that's my favorite. Uh, everybody should at some at some point in their life when when your favorite band plays red rocks fly to denver and go see them because to see your favorite band at red rocks that's that's a that's a bucket list for everybody i would say let's go back a chapter you talk about believing that if you had hit records your life would work which raises the question to what degree were you driven what people don't understand is how impossibly hard it is to make it. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's just, you know, it, athletes, you can kind of say, well, they have this skill or whatever, whereas in musicians, it's not even like there's a roadmap. How driven were you to be successful and how successful? Well, I, you know, I was, I was highly m- motivated, I would say. And then uh, when I met Gary Richrath, um, the late great Gary Richrath, who, by the way, if I if I might if I might if I may divert for a moment, Gary Richrath belongs in the conversation of the great rock guitarists of all time, and he's never mentioned in that conversation. And it's uh, I feel like it's a it's a uh, it's just not right. <laughs> Gary uh, Gary was a stone cold rock star. He the way he played the guitar. I mean, I I wouldn't call him a virtuoso on the guitar. There's no one in Ario Speedwagon who's a virtuoso. That's not what we do. I'll I'll leave that for for 
for Lukather, you know, and, 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 you know, Luke is just, you know, one of my favorites. But anyway, but Gary, man, if you think back, the way he held that, those Les Pauls, he just, he caressed them. He danced with them. He, he, they, he became one with that instrument. Uh, and, and his stage presence was so magnetic that he could literally stand on stage and with, and, he, he wasn't a singer. He didn't even have a vocal mic. He just stood on stage. We all went back to the dressing room and, and uh, you know, had a snack. And he, st- he stood out there in front of 20,000, 50,000 people and held them transfixed for like a 10-minute instrumental solo electric guitar with a, a Les Paul, a, a coil cord plugged directly into a Marshall stack and a Wawa pedal in between. And that's it. And this guy, man, he he was amazing. But but when I met him in 1972, I found someone who was equally as driven as I was, which I'd never experienced before. And uh, uh, and you know, and together, I mean, we were you know we were chalk and cheese in so many ways, um, but. Um, but together, when you know, when when we finally kind of figured it out, uh, and, and it didn't last long. It, it was you know, it was two you know, kind of two ships passing in the night ish. But for those few years between seventy eight and you know eighty two, man, we were just firing on all cylinders. It, it was just working, and uh, and and I'm I'm so thankful so grateful that that my life that i just it was so luck the the way i met rich rath was it was just so lucky it 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 came from my drive i i will say that but still you know having drive is important you also got to get lucky and uh you know uh i've i've had uh, so many instances and you know when you write a book you kind of relive your life and you know, you go, you know, when something happens, you don't know the, you know, the significance that it might have, you know, when, when you when you look at your life in retrospect. And I go, there's just too many times where I just happen to be in the, talk about in the right place at the right time. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just so thankful for that. I'm just so, so grateful for it. And you know, then of course you got to be ready for the luck when it hits. You know, and I guess I I got to take credit for for that side of it because, you know, I'm Bob. I I there's a lot of people who want to be in rock bands. A lot of people who want to be famous. A lot of people who you know want to be a star. And then there are those of us who need it. it it's like it's like survival. It's like I don't know what would have happened to me if 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 my life hadn't worked out the way it did i i i i you know i have nightmares about you know what would have happened and uh so um i'm i'm thankful that every day every time i walk out on stage i i just have this uh this feeling that i'm going to give this audience every freaking ounce of my energy tonight and and because i'm so lucky that people are are willing to spend their hard-earned money to come and 
and and hear our songs and and hear us perform them. You know, I I never take that for granted. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Rich Rath was in the band. He's unfortunately no longer with us, but then he was out of the band. What happened there? Well, that's, you know, that's a, 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 a lot of what my book is about, honestly, the, about the relationship between Gary and I, because it was, it was, a, it was definitely, a, a, you know, as, as, a, as Keith Richards famously said, a love-hate relationship. Uh, uh, he loves me, I hate him. <laughs> 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 and you know and gary and i were we were you know you 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 hear the stories of the the lead singer lead guitar player uh things you know from from tyler and perry to page and plant and not that i'm comparing gary and i to either of those of those amazing uh duos but in as much as we were we loved each other like brothers and we fought like brothers and we both wanted what was best for the band, we just didn't always agree on what that was. But like I say, for those for that for that period there, those few years where it was just really firing on all cylinders, um, 
that was that was something special. And I mean, I, I, how can I, how can I, um, how can I say, how can I answer your question in a with, with, without a book? Um, I guess you know if you look at at artists at, uh, or as lead singer guitarist uh, combos as they're each a piece of sandpaper and 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 there so there's there, there's this friction that happens when it, when they come together and th- those sparks are something that would not happen without each other and 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 uh you know my songs definitely needed a a shot of rich wrath rock and roll energy and his songs needed a shot of my singer songwriter uh you know kind of folk singer energy and um at some point uh the sandpaper wasn't the sparks weren't flying anymore and uh uh and, and i and i saw it happen uh and i uh i tried my best uh i probably could have tried harder in in retrospect but um i finally uh just got to the point where I had a conversation with uh, with Gary, who'd been my musical partner for. At, this was 1989, so since 19 on and off since 1972, and I just told him that I couldn't do it anymore, and uh, uh, and and I couldn't. You know, the, the, there was an there was an REO album on the horizon, and. I, you know, this is after I had met Stephen Stills and we'd written a song together and I had this side project, uh, you know, a 10 piece band with horns and background singers, you know, called the Strolling Dudes that that played out of Trancus and played little bars around LA and, and, but with amazing musicians. I mean, Graham Lear on drums, uh, Ricky Braun on, on trumpet, Steve Grove on sax and guys that, uh, you know that were just um, oh, just amazing musicians, and, and including Bruce Hall, the bass player from REO. He was a member of the Dudes too. Uh, and so then the thought I was having so much fun, just being free and and playing, you know, different. You wrote different types of songs, and and I just felt like. Uh, and then the thought of going back in the studio for another REO Speedwagon record just felt like oh boy okay here we go it, it just it just I, I wasn't excited about it i wasn't inspired about it and 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 part of it was that uh you know the the partnership between gary and i just wasn't wasn't uh wasn't firing on all cylinders and it was it was actually a little bit of a drag and uh so that's what happened uh uh honestly I I never thought that that Gary's hiatus from Mario Speedwagon would be permanent. I thought it would be like mine, you know. Uh, you know, I I got kicked out of the band in in 1973. Took a couple of years to figure out some things that I needed to figure out about myself, and when when I got back in the band, uh, it was better than ever. So. That's kind of what I thought would happen with Gary, but it never did. And, uh, you know, um, God, you know, I, I, uh, 
you know, I look back and I go, man, you know, could I have tried harder? Could I have, what, is there more that I, that I could have done to, to help the situation? And, um, you know, you always look at, at things that way in the rearview mirror. But at the time, uh, I was just, I was just out of gas, man. I, I just, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And to what degree was he resentful? And to what degree did you have any contact for the ensuing decades? Ultimately, he played a couple of, you know, times on stage with you long after this incident. But was it pretty much final and you had no contact? And was he pissed off? You know, that's a good question, Bob. We, we, had, we had occasional contact. Um, and, uh, you know, Gary came out to a, to, to some shows, uh, when we played the old universal amphitheater in, in LA and just sat in on a couple songs. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the way Ario Speedwagon has always worked is that, you know, there've been a number of people in the band, uh, you know, I, I'm one of three lead singers, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, even crew guys and anyone who's ever been in the band is always welcome. It's all, it's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He was, he was my guitar tech in you know, 1977. Yeah. Give him a pass, get him in here, you know? Um, so, so there was, uh, there was that, um, uh, Gary and I had a couple of, of, of soulful, uh, conversations over those years. Uh, and, uh, and they always kind of ended in the same way where, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, I would just try to, um, motivate him and, and, and inspire him in some way. Uh, and, and it, uh, it, it just never, never quite happened. Um, but he, he was never, he never expressed, uh, I mean, the last time that I saw him was at a, a benefit show that we did in Illinois for, a, for that horrible uh, tornado that, that came through Washington, Illinois and just decimated the town. It was right near where Gary grew up, and, uh, and he had moved back there. He had moved back to Peoria, which I thought was going to be great for him. You know, get out of L.A., get out of the shadow of Ario Speedwagon, you know, come back to the Midwest where everybody loves you and knows you. And uh, so he came out to, to, uh, to, to that show, and, and we were able to, um, we just had a moment. And, and uh, I, I, didn't sense, I didn't sense any anger. I sensed, I sensed uh, some sadness you know, we we looked into each other's eyes right right before we went on stage, and there was a there was definitely a certain sadness there. I I felt it too, and I and I know he did. And uh, you know, the thing is that the band has had such a resurgence over the past I don't know fifteen twenty years uh, that, and none of this would have happened without Gary. You know, he was he was the guy that got Ario Speedwagon signed. You know, Irving Irving saw Gary Richrath, and and he was like, he knew you know, Irving knows a star when he sees one, and uh, and uh, and so you know, I just it's a bummer that Gary is not here, that hasn't been here for the past twenty years of the of this resurgence of the band now. 
maybe the band wouldn't have had a resurgence if, if Gary was there. But, but I always hoped that getting away from it for a while, maybe he'd, you know, as I did when I was out of the band, bottom out and, and realize that, you know, you want your gig back. You know, that, that's what happened to me. I went and saw him. Uh, there was a show in West Palm Beach and I just happened to be in town and I showed up at the dressing room and, you know, hadn't seen the guys in a couple of years. And uh, it was like old times. I, I, and I, I watched the show from the stage right wing. And uh, the guy who replaced me, Mike Murphy, champagne guy, extremely talented, like great uh, blues and R&B singer, played, played a good guitar, good piano. Uh, but I watched it, man, and I'm like, it didn't seem like Ario Speedwagon, you know, with, with Murphy singing, as good as he is, you know. It was just such a stylistic mismatch. And I was like, wait a minute, that was my gig. And I let it slip away and I want it back. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know how it's going to happen, but uh, it did. And uh, so that's what I thought would happen with Gary. And it just didn't happen. And uh, yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about how you got kicked out and how you got back in. <laughs> I knew when I said kicked out that, that, that you would. Well, jump I on never that. knew you were kicked out. I thought you left. But now, since you brought it up. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I always kind of uh, described it as. Uh, as that we had that, that creative differences arose during the during the uh, recording of the Ride in the Starmont album, uh, and that, which led to me leaving the band. That's not false, <laughs> but uh, but really, what what happened was, you know, I, I, I you know, I I had always played in. And the bands before Ario Speedwagon that I played in, you know, like, like my band in, in like high school and early college, we we had way more in common with Buffalo Springfield than we did with Deep Purple, you know. And so when I joined, and and I was never a lead singer. I was always just one of the, I you know, I'd sing lead on some songs, but we all, the, our, my band always had three singers with three part harmony, and uh, so that's what I was used to. I I, I so when. When uh, when I went out and saw Ario Speedwagon after I met Gary, uh, I was like, "Wow, I gotta sing every song. How's that gonna work?" And they were loud, man. These guys played loud, so I ended up having vocal problems. And uh, uh, you know, I went to a doctor in Champagne, kind of on the sly, and he he uh, diagnosed a, a nodule on my left vocal cord and said that the only way to uh, to cure it was to not uh, not talk for three weeks and not sing for six weeks. And here I am. I've been in the band for a year that we're headed out to California to make an album. How, how's this going to work? And of course, my stupid coping mechanism was to stuff it, you know, not tell anybody, uh, you know, keep it a secret. And, um, and so I started not singing at rehearsals, you know, only, you know, kind of isolating so I wouldn't have to talk. So everyone in the band just thought I was being a dick, but really I was just trying to save my voice. And, but they had no idea that I was trying to save my voice because I was afraid if I told them that they'd kick me out of the band. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, that, that it caught up to me and, uh, 
uh, and uh, uh, and so um, so Murphy came in and and took over. But yeah, I you know I I can't say that it was a mutual decision, but I will say that I was in no position to argue the point. You know, I I, I knew that I didn't write my best songs for the Ride in the Stormlight album, and I I couldn't sing. So how do you how do you keep a gig as a lead singer when you're Vocal cords are are compromised, you know. So, um, yeah. So, what did you do in the ensuing two years, and how'd you get, literally get back in? Well, for for about a, for about a year, yeah. I, I went to Colorado. I lived in up in Evergreen for a couple of months. Um, didn't sing at all, and then it occurred to me, you know, up in the in the fresh air of, of Evergreen, Colorado, that I had gotten one opinion on my vocal cords and and that caused me caused my life to change in a way that that was devastating i'm like well maybe i should get another opinion <laughs> so i went uh, went into denver i made a couple of appointments went into denver saw two voice specialists and they're like i don't know what you're talking about there's you there's no vocal nods n- nodules now nor is there any evidence that there ever was. I'm like, then this is two different guys. I'm like, oh, great. Now you tell me, right? So, um, yeah, I went back to Chicago, tried to um, uh, tried for a career as a solo artist. Uh, I, I was working with Bill Trout. Do you, you ever remember Bill Trout? He was the, the president of Wooden Nickel Records in Chicago. Yeah. You know, and Bill was a—he was a character. He was—he was part of the company that that released the first Beatles album on, on VJ Records out of Chicago, and he parlayed that into a deal with I think RCA. What Wood Nickel was a boutique label in RCA, signed Sticks, of course, uh, and um, and then so he acted as my attorney and uh, the late great Gary Loizzo from the from the American Breed, the other you know, guy that sang "Bend Me, Shape Me" and. Uh, produced a bunch of Sticks records. I was his first uh, production client in his garage in uh, in Oaklawn, Illinois, and uh, and so we w- went about the uh, tried to get me a, a solo deal, and it just it didn't happen, and that was devastating because I thought you know when when uh, when I got away from REO, I was like this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I've, I've I'm kind of well-known now. I had a couple songs that did decent on the REO album. Now I'm going to be able to do what I really want to do, which is play, you know, folk rock and, and harmonies and, you know, m- you know, more of a Stephen Stills type character. You know, that, that was my fantasy of myself and it just didn't work. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I, I, uh, so that was devastating and that sent me, definitely into a funk and uh and i spent almost a year just you know going down to bill trout's office waiting for the phone to ring uh you know and uh you know and then going back to uh, my apartment up in the north side i was living alone and uh you know i started isolating and it was just not a good thing and um, then I uh, I met my first wife, and and she was uh, she was a musician, and she really uh, uh, just kind of said, 
you you got to start working again you you you, you know you know, you, 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 this is enough, enough already of sitting around, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. And uh, so I started singing, uh, started playing solo acoustic gigs around Chicago and really working at it, man. And, and I learned a lot. I, I, you know, I opened for, for some, some really good, the, the thing about being a fo- playing folk clubs is you gotta learn how to, talk to an audience you know it's you know it playing the songs is important but getting a few laughs in between and and kind of you know uh getting the audience uh in uh invested in a song that they have never heard before so so that they're more willing to listen to it just by a little story or whatever of how the song was written or who, what the song's about uh and i really learned a lot about that I opened for a a, a a band who you remember, maybe maybe not too many of your listeners would, uh, called Mason Prophet. Of course, they had a song, yeah, Two Hangmen, and Terry Talbot was a master of 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 working an audience, and I would just sit back and watch him do it, man, and just soak it up, and uh, so that show in in uh, West Palm Beach that I talked about, where I saw the band, the uh, Neil Dowdy. Uh, shared something with me in the dressing room. He's like, uh, "We just got a uh, uh, a uh, what, what do you call that? When a uh, a petition that that started out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. It uh, it you know this is before the internet or uh, iPhones or anything like that. It was it was actually on paper, and there was like, I thought I thought he said fifteen thousand names, but that sounds that's got to be too many but it was an, a large number of names who signed a petition for ario speedwagon to get back to the ario two lineup which was that, that that was the album i made with the band and uh so when he told me that i was like hmm, that's interesting i wonder why he's sharing that with me hmm. and uh a few months later i got the phone call and uh and it was kind of perfect timing because uh, you know, my ego was knocked down to size by not getting the solo deal, but I learned so much from playing as a solo artist, and I brought that energy back into the into the band. Uh, and there was a and and their egos came down a notch because they thought they were gonna that it, that it didn't matter who the singer was, you know, uh, that they were gonna. But 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 that TWO album did way better than the than the albums subsequent albums that with with Murph singing it just didn't it is great of an of a musician as he is it just didn't it just didn't sound like Ario Speedwagon at all and uh so um I was ready when, when the call came the, the guys were ready and there was a there was a new you know Gary and Neil used to joke that they you know they they picked me up out of the gutter and made me a star and there was some truth to it but um but when I came back to the band, I knew it had to be on equal terms. It had to be, you know, there, there, there couldn't be, you know, there was no more, I'm the new guy, so I don't get a say in, in what happens. You know, I, I needed to be uh, an equal member of the band, and, uh, and I was, and, and it worked. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Okay, from the outside... Ariel Speedwagon was around forever, perceived as a regional thing, but on a major label epic. And then roll with the changes happened with the can't tune a piano. You can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. That seemed to be a line of demarcation from the outside. What was going on on the inside? Well, the, the, um, that was the, the, the tuna album was, was the first album that was self-produced. We, we had had a number of uh, successful, well-known, I mean, Bill Halverson, Bill Simzik, John Stronach. I mean, th- those three producers right there probably are, you know, well, between Eagles Hotel California and uh, Joe Walsh, So What, uh, you know, the first two Crosby, Stills, and Nash albums. I mean, these guys obviously know what they're doing, but somehow it didn't work for us. And so we had, uh, uh, I'd been back in the band for about two years. Um, I had written, rolled the changes, time for me to fly, blazing your own trail again. Uh, Gary had uh, sing to me, uh, uh, say you love me or say goodnight. We had, we had some, we had some pretty, we had a pretty strong uh, group of songs that we were ready to record. And um, 
our fear was that if Epic assigned a producer to us, that the, the that that those goods the, those songs would get spoiled, and we didn't want to take any chances. So, um, so G- Gary and I march into Ronald Luxemburg's office. He was the president of Epic at the time, and lay down the law that that either we produce the next studio album or we refuse to record. We never even got that far. We were sitting in a meeting with Ron Luxemburg and, and John Boylan was in the, re- in the meeting. And Luxemburg is like, hey, I think it's a great idea for you two to, re- to produce this record, but I just want John to be in the room with you. And you know, John had just come off Boston's debut album. And uh, so to me, I was like, this is perfect. We're, we we have the the freedom to to produce the album how we want to, and if we have problems, we got John Boylan in, in the room with us. So it was really an ideal situation in in, in many ways. And uh, but yeah, so uh, so we were co-producing, and and I think that was the beginning of of Ario Speedwagon changing from you know before I joined the band, they were straight ahead rock band man they were just a solid you know original singer terry luttrell was a you know had the mic stand moves and the raspy voice and the, and the whole thing you know and and uh but um you, you know i knew that if that if the band was going to survive with me in it it would take some it would be uh, uh some give and take on both sides and uh and i think roll with the changes was the first uh uh the first hint of what Ario Speedwagon could become if if there was equal parts Gary's guitar power and the power of that rhythm section and a respect for me as a songwriter and the more melodic uh, you know paying attention to the lyrics a little bit more side of things and that was when we first kind of the, the balance first started being uh, found and Roll with the Changes was it. Okay, so you have this unbelievable success with High Infidelity, which you also referenced earlier. few questions to amplify the question. A, seems like you're driven, you want to get to a goal. From anybody on the outside, that's ringing the bell. There's nowhere really higher you can go. How did it affect you going forward? You had the moment of success. Uh, is it then, well, how am I going to maintain this? You know, how does it affect your mentality going forward to have that unbelievable success? Well, it was, uh, you know, it was a shocker to me because, like I said, I thought that was going to be the magic wand that that sudden that that all of my problems were a result of not being successful in music and not being recognized as an artist. All that, all that good stuff, uh, and. Um, what what really uh, well I, I'll be honest with you what really um, uh, kind of did me in was we we thought sure that High Infidelity was a, a shoe in for at least um, a best album nomination if not uh, if not you know a, a Grammy for best album or you know Keep on Loving You Song of the Year you know we 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 had pretty high hopes. And when the Grammy nominations came out, and we were nominated as for best rock performance by a duo or group, and that was it. 
And that just sent me uh, into a bad place. Uh, and uh, it was it was just like the ultimate, you know that 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 recognition, uh, uh, that peer recogni- recognition that the Grammys represents was something that I had been craving since I was a, a little kid, you know. And so all the success in the world was uh, didn't make any difference because I, I just that the the Grammy snub just it just destroyed me it was just so hard on me and uh and so um so so when the when the band when, when there was a band meeting in uh, early 1982 and uh and and everyone wanted to make a new record i was like make a new record are you kidding first of all high infidelity was still on the charts and 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 i didn't have I didn't, you know, I, I like to have a bunch of songs written before before we went in the studio, but there was this energy, man, that from you know we had the the high the high profile uh, business managers. We, we hired Fleetwood Mac's business managers because we thought, well, you know, this is High Fidelity had rumors like success, so let's let's go with their uh, business managers. We had um, the record label, uh, you know, and. And everyone else in the band, honestly, w- w- uh, you know, uh, uh, management, everybody was like, okay, you know, this is what we do. We make a record every year. And I'm sitting there and I go, guys, are you out of your freaking minds? I-, I-, I don't have any songs. I'm I'm still trying to get, find my balance, uh, you know, after, after High Infidelity. I, I just felt like, Guys, let's just. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Whatever, whatever you do as the follow up to to High Infidelity is going to be immediately played on the radio. It's going to be immediately accepted, unless it doesn't live up to the promise of High Infidelity. Then it's going to be derided. And and I kind of had a sense of that. And but nobody wanted to pay attention that everyone was so uh you know drunk on success that everybody you know let's just keep feeding the machine and i'm like wait guys you know the you know uh, that's not how it works for me but i folded i ended up folding like a cheap suit and uh went into the studio and uh made the good trouble record and uh uh and uh you know it was uh, it wasn't that was the the good trouble tour was the the uh the, the peak of the ario speedwagon partying arc uh it was you know it was just a it was the first time that the you know we, we've always been a band that has a good time but that tour was the first time where i saw that the after party was becoming the priority and the gig was just a way to get to the after party and i was like i don't like this but I don't not like it enough to stop doing it, and so uh, you know. So hey, there you that you know uh, our uh, the Ario Speedwagon uh, career arc is not an arc at all. It's a it's a roller coaster is what it is, and uh, uh, that was that was a that was a tough period for sure. 
Okay, the next album you come back with a monster song, Can't Fight This Feeling, everybody, and I mean everybody, reaches a point when they no longer have the peak of success they once have. Usually you're putting out records that don't, for some reason, get accepted. Then the sound sort of changes. How have you coped with that? Or how did you cope when you were experiencing it? Well, I mean... uh uh, uh, you see, I always feel like like the songs are the you know that everything grows from the songs, and if you've uh, you know a good song is always a good song. It, it, it you know it doesn't ever get bad, it, no matter how long uh, it's around. So if you got if you got enough songs that that uh, that people took into their DNA. Uh, then uh, th- you know that's that's what sustains you, even if the records aren't selling like like they used to. Um, you know, as long as you can uh, continue to uh, perform at a high level and and bring it every night and and bring that energy every night, and you got those songs, uh, then uh, you know. I mean, that's you know there's no secret to success that that's what it is and and that's that's what we do and uh that's enabled us to to uh, continue all these years did you own your own songs then your own publishing and do you own them now i did own my publishing then and and it was bill trout who told me never sell your publishing and then uh right around 1991 when uh Kurt Cobain and 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 his uh, cohorts invaded from Seattle and took took over music, which, by the way, I thought was awesome because my my kids had Bon Jovi posters on their walls, you know, and I'm like, Bon Jovi is not that different than Ario Speedwagon. It's the kind of the same thing, you know, and I'm like, so my kids don't have their own music, you know, and 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 then suddenly. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Nirvana came along, and boy, John Bon Jovi came off the wall, and and Kurt Cobain came up overnight, and uh, so it was great for my kids. But 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 if you were a member of a classic rock band, uh, it was it, it was it was pretty bleak. I mean, a lot of bands just broke up or stopped touring. Um, you know, we we continued touring, but. Uh, but but my friend uh, Tom Kelly, who's also another Champagne boy, another Irving Azoff uh, client or John Barrett client, uh, he um, uh, it was his voice. He was the high voice on all the big REO hits. He was a great singer. But then he became and he also became a great songwriter, great songwriting team with Billy Steinberg. Uh, and um, Tom and Billy made a publishing deal. Uh, right then in the early 90s and the way publishing deals work is they the publishing company looks back three years they take the past three years and that becomes the value of your of your songs and i was looking at it and i'm going well wait a minute every you know cause we thought it was all over we we we, we really thought that you know that you know uh, it was a low point and so I figured every year that I didn't make a publishing deal, that was one of the years that we sold a lot of records that would wouldn't be one of the past three years. You know what I'm saying? So, I uh, 
I I made I got a great offer and uh, and I sold my publishing. But the good news is that that was in 1992, and uh, and I think Don Henley was the guy who really spearheaded the uh, the 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 energy that that um, has said that uh, 35 years after you sell your publishing, you get it back. So that means in a couple of years, uh, I'll be getting it back. So that'll be, uh, that'll be nice. Um, uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, there have been some pretty lucrative publishing deals made over the past few years. Uh, you know, had I kept my publishing, look, put it this way, the, the, the publishing company that bought my catalog made a great deal. <laughs> I will, I'll leave it at that. Okay, just to be clear, for the uninitiated, there are essentially two halves in the publishing dollar. There's the ownership of the song and the writer of the song. Did you sell 100% or just 50? I sold 50%. And 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 they were a, a, a Nashville company with the, that was an old school, uh, you know, Bob Beckham uh, was the guy who, who he... he uh, uh, even just a, a, an iconic Nashville publisher, and and I just hit it off with him right away. And uh, even though they didn't need my permission to to uh, exploit the songs, they respected me enough that they never that 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 they never uh, put the song in a in a movie that I didn't you know you know that I thought it would be. I mean they. There was uh, uh, offers from cigarette companies. It's like, nope, you know, sorry. Uh, and and so I've all I've been lucky that uh, that they've been respectful. And uh, now my publishing is owned that uh, by uh, Mark Fried and Mojo Music, who bought that the the uh, my catalog from the original company. And Mark is just a a wonderful. Um, he's a guy that's in it for the right reasons because he loves music and he loves songs. And uh, hey, he 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 got uh, "Keep on Loving You" in a in a Shaquille O'Neal commercial. So come on, that's the, you know doesn't get any better than that. Okay, so needless to say, you've essentially gotten fifty percent of the revenue on your songs over these thirty years. If you never work, if you didn't tour, would that be enough money for you to pay your bills? Well, you you know, I think that I think that touring is is a way that uh, that 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 leads to um, the, the the value of the of the copyrights and the songs. Uh, I think I think I think they're two parts of the, of the same machine. So, uh, you know, if we stop touring, it it, it would be a, a, a I think a a mistake to think that the that the that the income from the from the songs would would maintain at the same level. I think they they kind of go hand in hand. Well, let me put it this way: Ed Sheeran goes out without a band and plays stadiums. <laughs> you know, there aren't twenty trucks, there aren't all these people, etc. It's like being a comedian. A comedian goes on the road right. with a microphone, maybe a road manager, and now comedians play uh, arenas, whereas a band. There are multiple members, okay? So in the heyday of REO Speedwagon, the 70s and the 80s, was there enough money or were you just like a working guy, middle-class guy, and this is your gig? Well, I, I will tell you that that uh, w- when 
how can I how can I say the um, there was it, it what when you're a musician you always it, you never turn down a gig because because you always think that if you turn down a gig whoever it is that takes that gig might take the next gig too it's it's just it come it goes back to being in a high school band so it's uh it's you know whether you need the money or not it's just it's just it it's baked into my dna that it's it's really hard to to think about turning down gigs you know and and we do turn down gigs but i'm talking about to the point that you stop touring for a certain amount of time i just uh it just seems uh, it's i'm i yeah, it'll probably happen at some point in my life but you know, as it is, man, I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I can still move pretty well and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, got my vocal coach. So, uh, you know, so I'm having fun singing. Uh, the band is great. We got a great crew. Uh, people are, hey, we had a sold out uh, James Brown Arena in, in Augusta, Georgia on a Monday night. You know, go figure, you know, so uh, it's c- kind of hard to walk away from something like that. Okay, going back to the old days, Barrick told me a great story that Irving came out here with Dan Fogelberg, was here for a year, and called up Barrick. Barrick said, Barrick, come out. We can take this town. <laughs> I so thought, what was... <laughs> I thought the original quote, because you told me that quote when I, when I called your radio show, and I think what, I think the... What what you said was, and it always stuck with me. It's actually in my book that that Irving called Barrick and said, "Grab the REO boys and get out here as soon as you can. We're going to own this town." <laughs> now that right, was, that, that, <laughs> right. But let me ask you: Was that palpable on your end? Well, I, I'm a Chicago boy. You know, I, I I never pictured myself living anywhere but Chicago. Um, but when I, in, in the time that I was away with the band, uh, from the band, they moved to LA. So if I was going to rejoin, I was going to have to move to LA too. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm a Midwest boy by, uh, you know, and, uh, so I kind of got the best of both worlds. I got the, the Midwest upbringing and now, and now the Southern California lifestyle. So, you know, I'll take it. Okay. For me, certainly in the early seasons, Ozark was one of the best shows on TV. Really, all the seasons. And I'm watching, they're opening the Riverboat Casino, and suddenly there is Ariel Speedwagon. How does that come to be? Bob, that's, that, that's a, that's a million-dollar question. I, uh, I, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know if the, the idea... Uh, uh, oh, this, is, this is what I think. The you know the show is supposedly based in the Lake of the Ozarks, which is in the heart of of Missouri. The two biggest markets for Ario Speedwagon were St. Louis and Kansas City. We would headline the the baseball stadiums in St. Louis and Kansas City, and then go out and play the Roxy in Los Angeles for five hundred people. So the Ozarks were that's the heart of Ario Speedwagon country. So. Maybe the producers were were going for authenticity, you know, and because because that kind of made sense that that we would be the band, um, but um, but the also you know that episode was kind of built around the song "Time for Me to Fly," so I don't know if that had it was you know like most things in life it's it 
it's not one thing that makes something happen. But I will tell you that that I was the only guy that had any lines. So when we were on on location, the uh, the writer gave me a little printout of of the scene, and they were just like three mimeographed type pages. And I had like one line, and then I asked them to change another line, and they they said, "Yeah, sure, say, say whatever you want." But at the top of each page of of the script, it says Kevin Cronin was here, and I'm like, "Wow, man, these people—they just made us. They had already made us feel totally at home." Jason Bateman got up in the middle of his lunch to come over and hang with us, and uh, and I thought, "Wow, that's really—they're really—they really know how to make you feel welcome," you know. So I had no idea. I'm sitting in, with with my wife and kids, you know, watching getting ready for season three to drop and watch it. And when the third episode came on and I saw the title of the episode, I was like, I, I was, I was blown away. I mean, that was, that was pretty freaking cool for, I, I will say this for about five minutes, well, maybe less than five, I, you know, optimistically five minutes, my kids actually thought I was cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ozark gigantic show. You have a prominent part in the episode. Do you feel any bump in business recognition, anything? Or is it just, oh, that was nice? No, no. That I mean, Ozark, as you said, that was one of the biggest streaming shows ever. And it and of course season three dropped right in the beginning of the pandemic when when everyone really got in the habit of, of streaming shows. And Ozark was the top of the heap. So uh, there was a big, I mean, Time for Me to Fly, which was the song that they featured in the episode, shows up as as number one uh, catalog song in Billboard from nowhere. Uh, there were actually there were actually a couple of weeks where where I was uh, uh, I was the top producer of the week, the top songwriter of the week. It's like, wait, how did they, you know? So yeah, so we we definitely got a little bump and. Uh, and we actually, you know, Dolly Parton had had recorded uh, "Time for Me to Fly" on her White Limousine album, turned it into a, a hoedown. It was an awesome record, and so uh, our manager Tommy Consola got the idea to go back in the studio on on the strength of the Ozark uh, episode and and re-record uh, "Time for Me to Fly." He said, "Just go in and you know, just just do it a different way." And so I I did. I went in. And then he's he's friendly with uh, with Dolly's manager, so he sends the demo uh, to to or, or actually the it wasn't even a demo but a rough mix to uh, to Dolly, and and she hears it and she likes it and she sings uh, a part uh, on the song and turns it into a duet. And I will tell you something, and you you I'm sure you've talked to Dolly and met her. She is. I mean, what? What? She, there was no movie score, and there was no, there was nothing. There was no album. There was no nothing. It was just here's the song. D- you know, do you want to sing on it? And she goes in the studio and and sings the song with me. And it was. We still haven't done anything with it. it, it you know, so so it, I talk about a person who does it for the right reasons. You know, there was no, there was no other reason for Dolly to sing that song except that she liked it. And and she had sung it before, and uh, you know, and of course that led to uh, you know to me being asked to uh, participate in Dolly's uh, rock album, and uh, 
Uh, so Dolly and I do a duet on that one, on Keep on Loving You on, on her upcoming uh, uh, rock star album. So uh, I just, I, 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 there's not enough good words to say for me about Dolly. I just, uh, she's, she's just the best. Okay, so as you've referenced, REO Speedwagon has a long storied history with members, never mind other elements being up and down. At this late date, you are the sole surviving member. So, yeah. is it really your band? And if it is, how long has it been your band? And does do really you make the ultimate decisions? Well, you know, it's uh, to call it my band. You know, that I don't know. That just that kind of rubs me in in not the right way because. Uh, but, but to say that, that, that I'm the leader of the band. Yeah. I, I, you know, ever since, ever since the split between Gary and I, uh, and, and, and Alan had, our original drummer had left the band by then, uh, you know, I have been the leader of the band and it, it took a few years and, and, uh, in, I'm trying to think of what year it was. It was a couple of years after Gary left and it was obvious that he wasn't coming back, and I thought about, um, uh, you know, I was working on a solo album, uh, and and I thought that that Ario Speedwagon had just, uh, you know, it was just it was just over, and and I'll never forget I was at a uh, I was at the ASCAP Awards, and after the ASCAP Awards, everyone goes to the uh, the tiki bar next door, and uh, and my wife introduced me to. Uh, a guy that I'd never met, uh, a producer named Rick Knowles, who Rick, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but he was huge, hugely successful, um, mostly with female artists. And uh, so, but we were just, you know, shooting the breeze and, and, and I kind of told him that, you know, uh, the, the Mai Tais kind of loosened my lips a little bit, I guess. And I kind of told him I was uh, working on a solo album and thinking about, you know, closing down the Ario Speedwagon. And he literally stopped me in my tracks, looked me right in the eye and said, dude, look around this room. There's not one person in this room who wouldn't kill to have a vehicle for their music like Ario Speedwagon. He's like, if you do that, you are out of your freaking mind. And I just met the guy, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, but it kind of it it kind of struck me that since Gary had left, I really hadn't given it my best shot. Uh, I, I was I, I I think I there was a part of me that was waiting for Gary to come back, and at that moment I realized that uh, he wasn't coming back, and I either had to do this, I, I had to be the sole leader of the band and 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 the sole songwriter and and et cetera. Or else it was over, and I wasn't about—I I just wasn't ready to, to let it go but w without a fight. And uh, so, at that point, yeah, I—I I, I definitely took over the leadership of the band. And um, within a couple of years, you know, John Barrett came up with the idea of of uh, of, of uh, former arena headliners co-headlining, and and having two headliners on the show, and. Uh, and that was a way for bands like ourselves to play the the kind of buildings and in, in front of the kind of crowds that that we were used to playing, but 
you had to share the bill with another headliner, which meant you couldn't close every show. And uh, that was a tough pill to swallow at first, but over the years, it, it's become the the paradigm, and and now it's like, oh yeah, okay, so you guys close half the shows, you know, we're we're in the middle slot for half the shows, and at this point, honestly, um, m- most of the bands that we work with would rather have the middle slot than the closing slot, <laughs> because because everyone's in their seats, because because you know we always have a great opener. And no one's leaving early to, to to beat traffic, so you're kind of in the sweet spot, you know. The, the the good thing about the closing spot is that everyone thinks you're the headliner, but uh, you know who cares. Okay, when you email me, you always reference that you're a bar band from the Midwest. Now, needless to say, especially when you look at it on paper or on a screen, you've had this unbelievable success with Ario Speedwagon. Yet you mentioned the Grammys where you thought you were dissed. At this point in time, do you still believe you and REO haven't gotten the respect you deserve, or do you feel comfortable? And then, of course, there's the question of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which has completely changed. Never mind, they're, they're inducting acts that are not rock and roll, but acts that have petitioned to get their fans, or their fans have petitioned to get the acts in, have happened. So... Are you comfortable where REO is in the landscape and are you comfortable with the respect or you still want more recognition and respect? Well, I, I am comfortable. I'm very comfortable w- w- with where the band is at. And at the same time, I, I, I'm still driven. I, I'm not satisfied. So yes, of course, I, 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 I always want to play a bigger gig or, um, or, uh, you know, um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, American Idol called and, and wanted me to sing a song with one of their contestants, and I'm like, yeah, sure, that'll be fun. A lot of people, a lot of people will will see me who think who who, who might think that I'm, you know, long gone. Who knows, you know? But, um, but but my uh, m- my goal is to be the Betty White of uh, rock and roll. <laughs> because <laughs> Betty White hosted Saturday Night Live at the age of 90 and uh, and did a great job. And so, uh, you know, Tommy Shaw and I laugh a, a, a often about being being the you know, the last two classic rockers standing. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I would be happy with that. And, 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 and that is a goal, man. I mean, I, I, I still love to play. I, I, I uh, you know, I keep myself in decent shape and and i'm always always working to get better always working to get better on the guitar be a better singer be a better front man i i I just always want to uh improve and uh so um you know yeah i'm i'm satisfied but i still would like a little more you know (laughs) so you're still driven at the end of the day yeah yeah i still am i still am I, i still love it and and you know, and in order to keep doing it at at the level that we are, you you gotta keep getting yourself out there. You know, you gotta do Amer. You know, for for me to do American Idol, I literally had to walk off stage. We had to charter a jet. I had to get, get I got on the plane at one in the morning, flew to L.A. Uh, you know, uh, they changed my my uh, call time from eleven a.m. to eight thirty a.m., which oh, I was man. not I was not thrilled about that at all. 
Uh, and, you know, I had to sit there all day, uh, you know, do a bunch of rehearsals and then, and then do the live show. And, uh, but that's, you know, that, and, and then I had to get back on the plane and get back on the tour and play a show. So, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it, it's not always, uh, as, as luxurious as, as people think, but, but that's what you got to do. You know, you, you, you're, you gotta, you, you gotta keep, you, you gotta keep at it. You know, uh, otherwise, if you're not getting, you know, wh- wh- one of the things my dad said to me when he was alive that, that, that has always stuck with me is, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right the first time. And, and so, you know, I've always, that, that's always stuck with me. If, if you're going to be doing something, do the best you can. And you've done great here, Kevin. This has been wonderful. You know, there's so many loose threads I could ask questions about, you know, you're growing up and other details we didn't get into, but I think we've, you know, covered it for now. So I want to thank you so much for taking this time to speak with my audience. Uh, Bob, it's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, it's uh, I, I love the way we met, which was literally just me driving down the street in my car and hearing you come on Sirius XM. And I'm like, Wait a minute! I've got the I got the hotline number to to Roger Coletti. I could actually call in. I think the show. I think you were talking about opening acts, right? And, and Ario Speedwagon was. I, I think you mentioned us as being one of the uh, the quintessential seventies opening acts. And I'm like, wait a minute! I got the phone number. I'm going to call in because I you know because I got a good vibe from you just just on the radio and. Uh, so uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. And, and yeah, I could talk to you for hours. And I know I kind of strayed off your questions, and that's a bad habit of mine. But uh, hopefully you, you can forgive me for that. And, and uh, you know, maybe when the book comes out, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again. Well, I believe, and I say this all the time, digression is the spice of life. <laughs> that's, where, that's where all the details are. And I have to give you credit. Almost always, you brought it back to the original anyway, which is how I do it. Okay. I remember, you know, I was in a bad space and I went to see the psychiatrist and he said, well, well, you know, I thought you had a problem tracking, which is something they do. He says, but you bring it back to the original point. I just realized you were on this long journey and too many people, you know, they just give yes and no answers where it's the flavor. I think people have really gotten an idea of what it's like to be you and be in these experiences. And I certainly thank you for being so honest and open. Not everybody uh, is. Well, well, thank you, Bob. You you definitely bring, you know, I, I do. A, I've done a lot of interviews, and I still do. And some of them uh, uh, are more fun than others. And I, I will say that I, I really enjoyed this time with you, and I look forward to doing it again. I do too. You've been everything I wanted and more. You were totally open. You were fantastic. I literally could talk for a few more hours. I got so many questions about growing up, what your father did, what your mother did, the records you listened to. Because the, and the other thing, of course, you're my contemporary. I'm a couple of years younger, but we are the generation who saw the Beatles on TV and everybody got a guitar and everything as opposed to the people born in the 40s. Right. I mean, I, I often say that I feel like I was born at the exact right moment to to do w- w- what I've ended up doing because I I was I was 12 years old I'm playing guitar for about two years nobody played guitar playing guitar was for sissies and I, I used to get chased through the streets by by, by dudes you know, just because I was walking along with a guitar case and the, when the Beatles came out 
I, I, you know, I didn't even know why I was taking guitar lessons, but I just did. And when I saw the Beatles, it was like, it, it, it was, everything changed. Everything changed for me. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the same guys who'd been chasing me through the streets wanting to kick my ass because I had a guitar. Now, all the girls liked guitar players overnight and they all wanted to be in a band with me. So I went from being the, you know, the outcast of the neighborhood to suddenly the, the, the guy who everybody wanted to be in my band because I was the only one who knew how to play the guitar. So, you know, the Beatles, the, the Beatles were everything for me. And I was 12 years old when they hit right. That's right at the moment when you're looking for an identity. And I saw them. And I saw myself in them. I wanted to be, I wanted to dress like them. I wanted to, I wanted to be in a band like them. I wanted to have songs like them. And they were just, they were just a, a huge inspiration. And uh, man, uh, you know, as you say, millions of people were, were tuned into that Ed Sullivan show that night. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just one of the, the lucky few who, uh, who saw the Beatles and said, that's what I want to do. And then were lucky enough that it actually happened. Uh, I can tell you one last quick Beatles story. All right, so so when the Beatles first came out, we talked about Bill Trout and VJ Records. Right. right. So V so VJ Records is releasing Beatles songs. Then all of a sudden, Capitol realizes that they screwed up, so they start releasing Beatles records. Well. I'm I'm in Chicago. WLS is is the the biggest radio station in the world. But I also am taking guitar lessons, and I and I every lesson I would hang around and look at all the sheet music, and and I bought the sheet music for "I Want to Hold Your Hand," which I still have framed above my desk. That exact piece of sheet music. But one day, I saw a piece of sheet music, and, uh, and you know, because it was such a it was such a feeding frenzy that sometimes the sheet music came in before the song was being played on the radio. So I got, I saw the sheet music for this song. It said, please, please me, the Beatles. And I'm like, what's that? I've never heard this song. So I sneaked the, the sheet music back into one of the lesson rooms and I've got my little guitar and I opened the sheet music and I wasn't good enough to be able to play the song. The, 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 uh, the, there was, I knew some of the chords and the lyrics were there. So I just kind of faked it. And I, so I had, a version of Please Please Me, which I thought I learned from the sheet music. Well, a couple weeks later, the song comes on WLS, and it bore no resemblance at all <laughs> to, to my version, right? And as, as blasphemous as this will sound, I kind of like my version better. And, and, and it gave me the thought as a 12 or 13-year-old kid that maybe I could write my own songs. So I even owe that to the Beatles. I mean, you know, that I owe everything to them. In any event, till next time, this is Bob Lefsetz. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits 
LED headlights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.